Welcome to the Cattle Call Podcast. Today we're starting another uh, feedlot research series. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, beef on dairy crosses, uh, a topic that's very hot right now, not only the summertime here. So uh, if you want to learn more, we've we've recorded two podcasts about that before. Uh, our podcast number 10 with Dr. Tara Felix last year, we, we had an introduction to this topic. And our last podcast with Jared Jaborek, we also uh, touch a little bit on the topic. So that podcast number 10 and podcast number 65. So before we go ahead and start today, let me go uh, ahead and call Brooke. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. So, Brooke, I already uh, gave a, a brief introduction to what we are going to talk about today and and told um, our uh, audience about the two previous podcasts, one last year, another one, our last uh, uh, research call. But what is what is the, the paper that we will be talking today? And, and that's, like I said, uh, it's, it's a topic that's being pretty hot right now uh, in, in our field, right? Yeah, so... This one's kind of exciting, and this is a great paper we're covering today. Um, it's got a lot of great information. Again, like all of our other papers, I'd really encourage people to go read through it because they have so much detail. We're only going to cover part of that today. But the paper we're covering today is titled uh, Board Invited Review, Crossbreeding Beef, Beef Dairy Cattle for the Modern Beef Production S System. Um, and so this is a translational animal science, like I said, it's a board invited review. So it's just a great review of what information we have currently about the the whole or the dairy crossbred cattle. Okay, yeah, and, and the author is is actually Dr. Dr. Tara Felix and, and her grad student Betty Basile. Uh like I said, uh we had an interview with Dr. Felix last year. Uh the paper wasn't even published, but if you want to get an introduction and hear what she has to say uh, about the talk, just go back to our podcast number ten. But what uh, what the authors were reviewing in this in this paper that we are going to talk about today? So they went through everything, and that's why it's such a great paper because they they went over the cumulative effect of having these crossbred cattle in our beef system. Um, so they covered economics beef semen use, selection, growth performance, carcass characteristics, frame size, all of this stuff to really give the readers a great overview of what data exists and, you know, what we may need going into the future here. Great. Can you just touch base a little bit more uh, the main points that you took from, from this uh, review? Yeah, so uh, just starting with economics, I think this is a really important one and one that people are really interested in when we have these conversations about the crossbred dairy. Um, they, it's seen that be, using beef semen on dairy uh, cows has provided an opportunity to increase the value of those dairy bull calves. Um, and there are several international models that sh have shown that using this beef semen on dairy cattle have increased increases profit when um, included with the Sexton conventional dairy semen programs. Um, but these are international models. They're not US-based models. Um, and so we're gonna see something a little different here in the US. Um, 
And so basically from the economic section, what they really saw was that profitability of the dairy crossbred cattle is dependent on the price of heifers and the price of crossbred calves. So a high heifer price um, can show a net loss for dairies working with beef semen. So it's kind of something to consider. Mm -hmm. That's that's great. And you you brought up a, a very, very important point. We I'm sure we'll go back during this podcast on that, but... And the reviewers do that uh, really well in the manuscript as well, that they uh, mention a lot of, several times that most of the data, the data available are not uh, U.S. data. They are not data that were con uh, research that was conducted here uh, in our traditional, especially traditional CAFED system that we have here in California. Uh, and... Sometimes the data that we do have data from the U.S., but actually older data that we know genetic has changed and other things have changed. So it's it's very uh, we need to be careful when we are translating the the research available today to what we are going to apply in the field or not. There are a lot of research being conducted right now, but uh, peer-reviewed data published. We we have some limitations on the U.S. system, right? But they, like you said, they do a very nice uh, overview uh, and they actually talk about other things that are not only economic. So what are the other things that they, the authors um, mention in, in this review? So one of the things that I found particularly interesting that they covered was just the current beef semen use in the U.S. Um, so one thing they touched on was the number of Western U.S. dairy herds using beef semen. From 2010 to 2017, only about 33% of Western uh, dairy herds were using beef semen. In 2020, it was up to 77%. So, I mean, that's a that's a big jump. And a lot of that semen was being used predominantly in herds with poor conception rate or cows on their third parity or greater. Um, so I thought that was just interesting, just the increase of, yeah. of what we're seeing. Yes, and 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 uh, and it's. I'm glad that you brought that up because actually uh, during this research series, uh, we are going to talk about the research paper that they got this data from. That was it's a it's a survey that was conducted specifically here in California, where we observed the the changes in the use of beef semen in the in the California herds. Uh, so that that's a big increase. They even mentioned like uh, if we look 2007 to today to 2022. Uh, there were a 6 million doses increase in beef semen sale in the U.S. And it's very interesting that the same similar amount decreased on the, the dairy herd. So we assume that most of this increase in semen sale from the beef uh, bulls are going to, to the dairy herd as well. Uh, that's that's good. So, but what are the, when, when they're selecting on this beef semen uh, to use in the dairy herds, are there specific characteristics that the, the, the authors mentioned that the producers are looking for? Yeah, so um, just commenting on some of the trends when we look, we're looking at the semen, specifically about the breeds, we're kind of seeing some specific breeds that have been chosen for, but the authors go into some detail about what um, producers should actually be looking at that may affect the breeds that they're using. So right now, 
in the U.S., 95% of the beef, or from 2016 to 2019, 95% of the beef semen used was for uh, was Angus semen mm-hmm. um, for these crossbred calves, with the second being Charlay at one per, less than 1%. Um, so the review mentioned a little bit about some of the selection and management practices that producers should look at so that when they're selecting these sires, um, they could really select for these uh, calves that are going to have the best performance. Um, so other countries like in the economic portion, other countries have developed indices that kind of help producers decide which semen is best based on these parameters. Um, but the U S again, we don't have those indices as developed. So some things that might be worth looking at when we're developing these indices is, uh, calving ease, feed intake, carcass characteristics, and then whether or not they're yearlings, because that may cause some discounts with them. Um, and so using EPDs, um, in order, because right now, the EPDs we're using are for the beef bull progeny, not the crossbred bull progeny. So we kind of need to start developing those indices for these crossbred dairy cattle specifically. Yes, that's a, that's a great point. A lot of associations are developing that and, and should have those numbers in the future. They, I think they do mention that right now the private companies are holding a lot of their internal data. Uh, it's really challenged to have that available to the general public, but I'm I'm sure they have that and and they are selecting for that, which is which is really uh, really good. Uh, I think you're going to talk about a little bit on 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 the growth uh, performance data as well and the carcass characteristics that they've been looking uh, uh, on that right now, right, Brooke? And they yep. and they do a distinction between the data available again from let's say European model, more pasture based, and our calf fed grain-based system, right? Right. And so uh, so when we're considering these beef bulls, we're considering these gro- this growth performance. And, um, and they did a great job at, you know, splitting up whether they're grain-fed, grass-fed, that sort of thing. But currently the data we have is variable, older, and not relevant to our U.S. system. So when we're looking at these results that they kind of put out in this paper, we have to think of it through the lens of we need more data from a U.S. system in order to really understand these benefits. But they did find that sire might affect average daily gain, dry matter intake, and feed efficiency. And then the beef, uh, the beef dairy crossbred cattle have been seen to improve average daily gain and feed efficiency. But again, we need more data to back that up. Exactly, and we are conducting. Some of that research we are conducting right now, right, Brooke? And and yes, exactly. maybe maybe at the end of the year when we when we record one of our last episodes, we can uh, discuss a little bit about our final data. Hopefully, we will have that. Uh, and and you brought a good point that Jared actually talked in our last podcast uh, when we talk about uh, beef on there. We might cover one of Jared's papers specifically, but he mentioned that uh, the sire. It, it's more important than, than actually the breed. And also, uh, even though there is limited information on the on the beef on dairy uh, offspring, we we can use some of the beef data to select the sire uh, 
but we need we need to improve that. We need to use those indexes, the the things uh, to to select it better. But but that's good. I mean, I mean, I think the 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 main idea on the behind this uh, this uh, review is that we can see an increase in the use of of beef semen. We need more studies on that. Uh, they do mention about the most of the animals are Angus, but the European data shows some promising results on some continental breeds as well, such as Charolais. And, and we've seen some increase in, in the semen sale of those breeds as well. It might be very important for our region here as well, maybe exploring more the Charolais. It's not what we are doing right now. We have Angus hosting crosses, but that's something to be to be explored as well. And I think there is a good potential on that uh, as well. So, Brooke, uh, are there uh, final points that you want to mention or talk, talk about their conclusion that I'm missing here? So I think one of the biggest points that I forgot to mention earlier is, um, especially with these crossbred cattle, good management of the calves is critical. Um, calves may not be able to express the beneficial genetic advantages under poor management. So when we're talking about picking these the semen that's going to give them the greatest growth potential, they need to be managed in a way so that they can express that growth potential. Um, so bull calf care is typically not prioritized compared to heifer care, but um, if we want to see these improvements, that may be one way to um, improve. And then um, as their conclusion, just to maintain the value of the beef uh, on dairy crosses, sire selection must include critical genetic criteria and calves must be managed well to maintain that market viability. It's it's an extremely important point you just brought up because, uh, I mean, regardless if it's hosting or cross, we need to manage the calf well. Uh, a good thing about uh, the crosses is that because the dairy producer see a greater value on the calf, uh, there is a possibility that the, the dairy farm is taking a better care of, of that calf as well. So hopefully they do that not only for the cross, but also for the hosting. Uh, and, and we can manage that calf uh, really well, regardless of the, the genetic group that this calf uh, uh, be, uh, is in, regardless of the genetic group of the calf. Uh, so anything else, Brooke? No, that about covers the main points. But again, I'd encourage everyone to read it because we missed a ton of details that they have in there. Yeah, that's a very nice extended review. We cannot cover everything in 12 minutes, 15 minutes that we are just talking about here. Our goal here is to encourage our uh, listeners to go in the actual paper and read. Again, if you want to receive the paper, just send a uh, carol call uh request uh, feedlot research request with the number of the episode so we can send that to you you can also see uh, a summary of that paper very uh, brief summary that brooke puts out in our uh, monthly newsletter if you want to receive that just subscribe to that in the description of this uh, episode and we'll be happy uh, to have you in in our list so uh yes and that's all for today and remember, it's always a good time for a cattle call. The cattle are prowling, the coyotes are howling, we out where the dog is bold. Where spurs are a-jingling, 
A cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call. 